0: out if this scarf is a microphone eater can you hear that is that all okay well thank you Jan um, thank you Diane and the um, South Australian meditation community for organizing this event and um, it's wonderful to be here with you and uh, virtually with with father Lawrence um, and as Jan, as Jan said um, Tonight you'll be hearing mostly from from Father Lawrence, but my role here is just to give a little bit of an introduction to our theme, um, our overall uh, conference theme, which is the theme of contemplative Christianity. Before I I do that though, I wanted to say just a little about the notion of conference itself, um, which obviously enough is to do with conferring, talking, consulting together. Often in our contemporary practice of conferencing, a conference is less about talking together and more about um, receiving input from a few people (laughs) up the front Um, and kind of catching up more generally only in the breaks. And maybe that's not just a feature of modern conferencing. If you think about the conferences of John Cassian, they also seem to rely fairly heavily on some specialist input. Um, well, that is, as you've heard from Jan, that is going to be a feature of this gathering. We're going to hear from Lawrence and then I'll also do some talks, tomorrow, a couple of talks tomorrow. But I'm very aware that this whole theme of contemplative Christianity is is a theme that many of you will have thoughts about and wisdom to share or wonderings to articulate and and um, gifts for shaping this conversation. So as well as these formal input sessions, we do want to create uh, a bit of space tomorrow for there to be an opportunity f- for us to learn from each other and, and share the wisdom that is in this room. So to help establish the ground of that conversation, um, it's important that we begin to, to connect with one another. And so, just for a couple of minutes now, I'd like to just invite you to to take a moment or two to to be with two or three people in your vicinity, maybe to share your names, um, perhaps your connection with this meditation community, and what brings you here? What is it about uh, this theme or this gathering that's drawn you to be here? So I just invite you now to take a, um, a few minutes just to, to do that, just so we begin to get a sense of who we are gathered together. have a couple of minutes more so if you haven't got round to everyone now's the time. So we might um, begin to return. I hope that was a, a chance to um, perhaps uh, meet some new people as well as I know to make some reacquaintances, as, as, um, as these national conferences are a great opportunity to, to reconnect um, across across the country. So I just want to say now, give a few remarks about this this notion of contemplative Christianity by way of introducing our theme. You'll be aware that the late 20th century saw a remarkable renewal of contemplative prayer in the Western Christian tradition. Thanks to monastics and teachers, many of whom achieved near celebrity status, thinking of Thomas Merton, Henri Lassot, Bede Griffiths, Thomas Keating, Cynthia Borges, Beatrice Bruto, Joan Chittister. Richard Rohr, John Mayne, and our own Lawrence Freeman, thanks to all of these uh, teachers, the centrality of contemplation to Christian life has been rediscovered. And by contemplation, I'm referring, I guess, primarily to, to our practice, the disciplined practice of silent prayer or meditation, which, as you know, involves setting aside our words and thoughts, even our prayerful words and thoughts, images and ideas, so as simply to wait on God in deepening receptivity and vulnerability. This is what the earliest monastic tradition called pure prayer or the prayer of the heart. Why why did this renewal happen? How did it come about? In our time, it seems that contemplative practice resonates powerfully with many people. And I think this this is for two significant reasons. First, it's an antidote to the ills of our compulsively busy, preoccupied or self-preoccupied and anxious age. The Protestant theologian Jürgen Moltmann once said that as a witness to salvation, The Christian testimony must be related to the sicknesses of a given society in a healing way. I'll say that again because I think it's quite significant. The Christian testimony must be related to the sicknesses of a given society in a healing way. And he talks about, for example, the rise of Methodism as a res- with the, you know, my heart is strangely warmed and the, the, the kind of sense of the spirit within as an antidote to the ills of the industrial revolution where people are becoming cogs in machines. And I think that we can see that contemplative practice is healing for our culture. It quiets anxiety and distractedness. It restores a sense of connectedness to ourselves, to others and to the world around us at a time when many feel isolated and alienated. The second reason I think that contemplative practice resonates so powerfully today is that it offers a way of prayer, a method by which practitioners grow into personal living experience of God. Karl Rahner, and you know the quote that's coming because it always appears at this point, um, the, the, the great Jesuit theologian of Vatican II, he famously observed that the Christian of the future will be a mystic or will not exist at all. And by mystic, Rana hastened to add, he didn't mean someone pursuing strange parapsychological phenomena, but he meant one who knows a genuine experience of God. This personal encounter is distinct from second-hand or propositional belief and it's deeper than the kind of spiritual high reliant on passing emotional states. It's an encounter which, said Rana, is the very heart of all spirituality. Meditation, as we know, opens the way to it. And John Main put it this way, In meditation we verify the truths of our faith in our own experience. So two two reasons I think why contemplation resonates so powerfully in our time. And As you know, a major focus of the work of the world community for Christian meditation has been to communicate the significance and indeed the necessity of contemplative practice for deepening the life of faith. Sometimes this has involved engaging with questions about the legitimacy, that is, the Christianity, of this way of prayer in church contexts that sometimes were hostile. Is it really prayer? Is it really Christian? And so on. And out of this engagement has developed a a, a theology of contemplative prayer. But the heart of the work of our community has been to teach the practice itself, to say how to meditate, and then to offer contexts in which we may deepen our practice. And again, as you know, this has involved establishing meditation groups all over the world and in a huge array of contexts parishes, schools, hospitals, prisons, community centres, universities, businesses, recovery groups, and on and on. The question we're wanting to explore in this conference is a question arising out of this work. And it's to do with what this rediscovered contemplative way means not just for our individual growth in faith, our individual experience of God, but for the whole practice of Christianity and for the church as a body. We're becoming interested not just in teaching meditation as one form of prayer, but in the life and mission of the whole church being renewed by contemplative consciousness. Many of you will be familiar with the words of Rowan Williams addressed to the Synod of Bishops in Rome in 2012 where he claimed that contemplation is very far from being just one kind of thing that Christians do. It is the key, he said, to prayer, liturgy, art and ethics, the key to the essence of a renewed humanity that is capable of seeing the world and other subjects in the world with freedom. In this gathering, we're wanting to explore that understanding and to reflect together on what it could mean for what it could mean for us, for the communities we're part of and might yet create. This conversation, the conversation about this has begun, I think, to intensify in our community. Jan mentioned that last year I was part of the gathering that met at Thomas Kidding's Monastery in Snowmass, Colorado, with representatives from the world community, from the Centre in Prayer, Contemplative Outreach, from Richard Raw's Centre for Action and Contemplation, and the Shalem Institute in Washington, D.C. And this is a question that was, that was animating this gathering. What does this contemplative renewal mean for the for the whole the practice of Christianity as a whole, and what does that mean for our contribution to the life of the world? And s- same kind of conversation was happening when I was in the UK um, earlier this year with um, groups around the UK. So I think this is a conversation that in a sense, we're maturing into um, through the, the long years of practice and the groups and the ways in which we, we're discovering the significance of this contemplative way. And so I really invite you over these, this day, couple of days, to be part of shaping this conversation. It, I think it's an emerging conversation and we're still, in a way, not quite sure exactly... What it's about, what the parameters of it are, even what the questions are that we want to ask. so I think this is an opportunity for us really to engage with this emerging conversation and so I invite you to, to participate in that kind of spirit. So now we come to um, Lawrence's father Lawrence's talk his um, first talk to us on this theme. Um, Jan asked me if I would introduce Father Lawrence, which seems slightly weird, A, because he's not here and B, because you know who he is. But anyway, (laughs) um, you know, Father Father Lawrence, Lawrence Freeman is the director of our community, the World Community for Christian Meditation, Benedictine Monk. He's been um, the teacher of many of us and um, really given his life for the 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 and the communication of this prayer this work this and what this might be in in the life of the world so it's it's a great privilege to have him with us virtually um, and let's let's now turn to his talk
1: I think he lists the fact that quite a few of that good and also quite active in his, in his parent. But for some people, contemporary Christianity does seem a uh, contradiction in terms. The gospel calls us to action, to service, to corporal works of mercy, and um, not to introversion and to introspection and so on. On the other hand, it's a useful term because we haven't erected this century. Dimension of Christian faith and Christian prayer, Christian life, and the rest of itself. This contemplative dimension of the Scriptures. When Jesus speaks about prayer, he speaks about contemplation. Uh, You see in his own life that he took time regularly, periodically, uh, in quiet places to go away by himself or with others pray and then he would return to the prayer to the, to the busy and active life, healing prophecy that he was involved in. So, I think it is was worthwhile uh, sticking to this uh, term contemporary Christianity because it challenges us to try to recover uh, the fullness of the Christian vision and way of life. And Sarah, with so this weekend is going to really, uh, I think, a ritual that so she reached uh, our community here in the UK um, a few months ago uh, when she came to Victoria's sphere. And she was part of the group of um, young contemporary teachers that met from different contemporary networks and uh, traditions in <coughs> Snowmass uh, last year. It was a wonderful occasion and a real cyber code. The future of Christianity of the So, what do we mean by contemporary Christianity? It's a Christianity that includes and generates action, right action, compassionate action, courageous, prophetic action. The contemporary experience allows us to function within the institution. And also to step back from the attachment and the politics and the, uh, the dangers of all institutions, which is that they become ends of themselves. So, of Christianity has always worked in tension with what we might call institutional Christianity. It's a healthy tension. It's, if you lose that tension, we lose something vital about Christianity itself. And Our challenge today, I think, is in many ways to recover this centeredness and this integration, this dynamic, uh, not easy, um, not be an easy relationship between these two aspects. Just as always within ourselves, we we have a a certain tension, often a conflict within ourselves, between contemplation and action, between the lots and the very aspects of ourselves. You have to see how often people say I've got want to meditate and i don't have time to meditate and realize that this tension uh, manifests in individual as well as in institutions. So in terms of Christianity uh, implies a integrated human being a human being that is on the way to holiness. The Pope issued a wonderful letter recently, the uh, Exhortation to Holiness, mm-hmm. and began by saying this is not a definition of a theological treatise on holiness, but it's a, a call, he said, to remind us of the desire for holiness that is at the heart of it. We should desire it, we should be actively desiring to be holy. And that is is a wonderful insight for our time because there is a a hunger, a need, uh, a search going on in secular society. Just look at the lifestyle supplements of of, the Sunday magazines and and look at the people who are involved in mindfulness, the people who are involved in searching in other... Um, mm-hmm. faith traditions is clearly a, a, a hunger for homes, for an integrated experience of life, and of, of cipher, which was needed to and that's the, the most vital aspect of modern global uh, uh, life is the, is the evacuation of meaning so many people, young people especially at younger and younger ages, who feel that life is not only lacking joy and, and, and peace, but also lacking anything uh, of, of real need. So I think, by of Christianity, this is what we're, we're trying to evoke, uh, a new understanding of the human, uh, and particularly in relation, of course, to our own faith and to the Gospel. In some words, this expression of contemplative Christianity mm-hmm. might imply some kind of utopia. And many secular, sceptical uh, people would challenge Christians right from the very beginning by saying, well, you're all about utopia. This whole idea of the kingdom of God that Jesus preached is just another impossible and unattainable uh, Utopia. Well, let's see if that's true. When we look at uh, utopias uh, throughout history, and you know, the famous one, of course, uh, Thomas More uh, wrote this very witty and very um, colourful imagination of, of uh, uh, the world in which uh, society was well ordered and it's uh, just where everybody had what they wanted. There's you no know, private property. One of the aspects of it I liked very much was that you didn't have to carry anything with you when you travel. So you where know, you went, people uh, would provide your needs and just as you would meet their needs. So it was a uh, perfect society imagined, of course, in contrast to the very unjust and, uh, and violent society of uh, 16th century. <coughs> well, there are many utopias, some politically, uh, you, know, you could say maybe that Marx uh, had a kind of uh, uh, utopia in mind, And the difference between the ideal of the utopia and the ideal of the kingdom of God, the reign of God is a better expression, really, because kingdom suggests a place as well as a man, whereas the reign of God, which is the vasoleva, is the Greek word, suggests the the area of influence, the the powerful presence of of the... of the God of God, of the God, God, God who is one and living the So, um, the difference between the utopia and the way of God is precisely that in utopias, in order utopias I mentioned, uh, human society becomes totalitarian. That the only way that the world can be maintained in its perfection is by um, which imposes a totalitarian uh, form of government and the people for their own good. Well, that's absolutely not what Jesus uh, imagines. The so one thing, he doesn't give us many really details about what kind of of, of space <coughs> the reign of God would would be like, except that he tells us how. The reign of God can be realized through the transformation of human relationships. So he's not about, he's not talking about perfection. I don't think Jesus wants to perfect human beings in the way that Newtown's often do. We uh, recognize that human beings are uh, unstable, uh, they have a dark side to them, sometimes an evil side to them. Human beings are uh, self-centered and uh, they have their moments of, of virtue, their moments of, of, of greatness, but you have often relax into, uh, into being only too good. But this doesn't mean that Jesus' Christianity is, is, is uh, imagining some kind of perfection of human beings. It's not about that. And that's what Muhammad is. In. And so there's no need for a totalitarian approach. As soon as we have the idea of perfection, that human beings should be perfect, they should be sinless, then we begin to move into a totalitarian uh, way of running the church. And historically, this is, has this is been a great thought, a great trap. Uh, for Christian institutionalism, is that it has assumed that people should be perfect. The fact that if they're not perfect and we want to make them perfect means that we have to take control of them and, and uh, I put it maybe by fear, maybe by force, maybe by enjoying them at the stake, or maybe by playing with the, with the unconscious uh, powers of good. But was isn't. True to the spirit of the gospel. That's why it's so important that we, our Christian life is continually refreshed and renewed by our returning to those amazing texts of the New Testament, the Gospels in particular. I've been reading some sort of the Gospels recently, and I can see why um, none of these texts, like the Gospel of Thomas, which, are, which have some numerous passages and some marvelous science, some of which may you know, you know, be the true sayings of Jesus. But nevertheless, they don't have that quality that the rest of us have, which is a mysterious quality of creating a space in the reader's mind that invites us to not just to think, but to experience a new way of, of seeing. So, continually returning to the Gospels is a a really critical part of contemporary Christianity as I'm describing it. it. And one of the gifts of meditation in our daily life is, of course, that it seems to retrain our mind to be able to read the Gospels. Each time as if we were discovering them for the first time. When so Father John picked up a meditation and developed in his life after a long um, period not meditating, one of the first things he did when he got into a regular practice was to uh, re really read the, the New Testament uh, more or less in a single sitting, I think, read it and and absorbed it and and devoured it and and we discovered it. And that's why when we go and resort and reading in these books, uh, quoting scripture and then commenting on it, it has such a a enlightening and profound influence because if we are discovering the new levels of meaning within those familiar texts, text that's just this is this is one of the fruits of interpretive practice. It allows us to, to keep fresh with these texts. Not to worship words because they're all interpretative with the gospel themselves are an interpretation of the person of Jesus, of his teaching, of his actions, of his words, the translations of course. So we have to interpret the interpretation. There's no Christianity without interpretation. We don't worship the words. The Muslim, the words in the Quran are the words of God, absolutely, you know, fundamentally accurate. Every word is spoken by God. That's not how the Christian sees the scriptures or the Christian tradition sees the Bible. So we need need the terms of interpretation in order to keep Christianity contemporary and in order to keep it responding to the needs and challenges of each generation. It has to be reinterpreted in every generation. that's what I think Christianity means in a sense it's it was in the present moment. It's uh, benefiting from and formed by all of the interpretative levels that go um, on before generations, but it has to be reinterpreted by us uh, in the light of our own experience and in the light of the tradition. So, uh, so the second is, is, is what we mean by one so aspect of living in life and contemporary Christianity It's not meant to it's not about the protection of the human being, but it's about entering into that experience of the reign of God that is at the heart of Jesus' teaching, his vision, and indeed, in the eyes of faith, which is what he himself embodies and continues. To embody in us, in the church, and the only have to look at the church to realise this is not about protection. I'm there in Ireland at the moment, and the focus just, uh, just, come back to, 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 Rome after a short visit to the gathering of the world, gathering of families, and um, much of the. Social commentary and the uh, media coverage was, was, was not about the family, but about um, the terrible uh, cases of, of, of child abuse, which so many uh, well, bishops and, and other institutions, as well as secular institutions, uh, covered up, and uh, so. It's very totally clear that you know, the Church is on its knees in, in, at this time in the south of the uh, uh, not only at prayer, but on its knees in a south of humiliation, and a confrontation with its own institutional sinfulness. And what, uh, something amazing you know, seems to be at you work know, during this visit as well, uh, is a confrontation outside of the institution, outside of the Christian uh, the, 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 the church. there was a uh, something shown through it. Through the very same things. This is no way down the need for repentance, the need for, um, for compensation, for reconciliation, for healing a, a, a humble admission of good, but nevertheless, if the Church is what we see it to be in the light of the Gospel, it is a very imperfect institution that nevertheless carries with it. but he doesn't go back on that promise. So Jesus is, 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 is and, and the realm of God, contemplative personality reminds us, is not about perfection or perfecting human beings. It's about recognizing the power of transformation that the realm of God, the experience of God, has present. And it's a fundamental ground being in every situation of life, in all activity, in all prayer, uh, in all intellectual, sexual, uh, educational activity. Whatever the human being is involved in, Europe, God is present. God is one. God is present. and. If we can awaken to that, and that is beautiful prayer and worship means. if we can awaken to that, then we have the capacity to transform our human relationships, to see the possibility of a world without violence, without oppression, without totalitarianism, without deception, without exploitation. If all forms of human relationship, beginning with our own, our own personal lives, our homes, our, our families, our churches, our communities, our places of work, in all of these there's a possibility of a transformation for a new discovery really of the true nature of the human as an icon, living really icon uh, of, of God. Not perfect because we, but capable of this transformation. So I think uh, this is it is worthwhile putting this idea, of contemplative Christianity, out there for us to reflect upon it as you well know, as we can. And to move the Gospels from the moment of this new balance, of this this new perception of the forces, the different play of forces, the different kinds of truth that are at play uh, in in Gospels and in Christian tradition as we received it and as we tried to live it. When the find my memory, you may remember, where he speaks about this work of meditation as something to which we are all called, cool. he has, uh, the author has this wonderful and encouraging um, expression, symbols make the best for and I would sometimes get that wrong and say the is are the best sinners, but maybe that is also true. But his point is that we don't have to be perfect in order to be contemporary. And it's often in the recognition, the humble, the shameful, maybe painful recognition and admission of our imperfection, we've all got things mm-hmm. in the flesh. We all got things we would like to change in our lives and our relationships. But if we can humbly recognize and accept ourselves as we actually are, then that is the beginning of our discovery of, of what we can be. Not perfect for but not, not perfect for a human sense, but singularly in the divine sense. And that is the message of, of our community really, is that anyone can, if they want if they're called to, anyone can learn the medicine. And we become come by adopting interpretive practice, integrating it into part of our daily life and then uh, moving out the consequences of it. This is how John Wayne uh, described uh, the process of learning to meditate. He says you you have to learn uh, to sell the mantra. That means learning to be in the present moment, learning to come out of our noisy heads and into the inner in the You have to learn to sell the mantra. to be content to say the name, it's a very important additional phrase to use, be content to say it. Not to be always looking at what are we going to get out of this now. Uh, not to approach it in terms of how I'm going to benefit. It's kind of difference in, in, in the way we approach the contemporary practice in this world. My is you know, an important part of many people's lives and it's helping, I think, to take the first step towards, realize that and to discover the, the passage of the contemplation of living and enjoying the peace of the present earth. But in you know, all the Buddhism, which might be the same, of course, as in all of the great religious traditions, um, this is the first step. And the next step is to to go deeper and to integrate that deeper step into our daily lives as a discipline. A gentle discipline, a freely chosen discipline, a discipline that helps create community because we all need to to support and encourage each other uh, and to get back on the the rattle when we fall off it, to start again and so on. So, uh, this very simple discipline, this very simple practice, great it goes into daily life, has the capacity to uh, transform our our relationships. This is the beginning of our experience of the way of God, of the kingdom of God. This is really what we mean, I think, by interpretive Christianity. It's not about mystical rapture, it's not about becoming morally perfect. Uh, it's about being on the journey towards the ultimate goal of human existence, which is full and sharing the divine manner. And our, our practice of meditation, the sign of the mantra in our tradition. It's something we can be content with in itself. You don't know, have to be too too oriented, when people say i use meditation for this, i use meditation for that I can be the way of beginning, But it isn't, I think, a way to persevere. Actually you would have to go of that uh, too-minded uh, attitude towards meditation, and to be content with with doing it for its own sake and allowing the fruits, the the transformative influence of it, to go, to to radiate our lives and to surprise us. One of the aspects of the reign of God is that we should be surprised. This isn't something predictable, it's something we can we can uh, be in control peace and repeat and work. This is grace. This is grace working on the multidimensionality of our being, of our being existence. We are a wonder to ourselves. We don't fully understand ourselves. So we can be we can, we can continuously surprised, naturally, and a state of wonder at what is happening to us if we are truly open to the presence of God. And it begins just with simple presence, just with facing our noisy minds, having the courage to endure that, that for a while, and then to begin to see that that these noisy minds are not the final frontier, and that we can go through them, that we know that on the other side of all this noise and chaos is a presence, the experience, and fully life that which we are in state of wonder and which can be a source of continual surprise. And in the world of the virtual reality, I think the temple of Christianity has a very important contribution to make. It reminds us of reality really means. And we don't need substitute realities, however, however virtual they may be, however lifelike they may be, also we don't need them, don't need the, the sort of virtual friendship or friendship and uh, relationships in order to, to know who we are and, and to relate to other people in a very simple, humble way, and it never be perfect, but meditation has this wonderful capacity to look at this to that reality, full reality of relationship. And that full reality is what we mean, what Jesus meant uh, by the way of God. So I hope uh, this weekend is going to be a uh, short enriching, stimulating, celebratory uh, time to reflect upon the gift of meditation in your own lives and to, you know, to to share that with each other and how you found it and how you knew it and how you, 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 you shared with others. We are a community of meditators but not only of we're a community for the sharing of this gift. Uh, that's an essential aspect of Christian contemplation, where uh, we share the fruits of the world. And I hope that we can get the chance uh, to see our PowerPoint about Bonneville. I'll be there in a few days. We're um, having our first group of people down there, Malaysia, Hong Kong. And I hope uh, they will staying, staying nearby for uh, coming into the uh, Stage 1 Girl for, for some talks and meditations as well. But I hope we will not long before we have a uh, program from Australia. And I'd like to thank the Australian community for the great generosity um, that you've shown in helping us to realise nice this vision. We're still in the... In Process as a general code, and uh, we're on our way, we're offering that financially. And uh, I'd like to thank all of you for not only what you've given financially, but also to thank you for your sharing and your vision. I think Bombay will be a place uh, for the community, but also um, a place where we as favors uh, of this teaching of the gospel and given us the contemporary uh, to our uh, to our contemporaries and uh, by, by being able to show what contemporary Christianity means we'd be hope to communicate the gospel in a more effective way. Uh, so please keep on uh, going very, very much in your hearts over this weekend and, uh, and come and visit us uh, as soon as you can. So have a great weekend and uh, have a good time and blessings on the gathering that, uh, that you'll need.